This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. I believe that the Holy Bible is a rule book. It's a handbook that we can use through life to lead us and guide us into all truth. But I do not believe that it is the same rule book that you will find in religion today. Human tradition has created religion, and that religion is far distant from the church of the living God. So many today have forgotten the author. I use the word religion because there is a vast difference between religion and Christianity. One of the very first things that Christ did when he came was to point this difference out to the Pharisees. God gave us his word. It is a gift. One that was protected by God all throughout time through the hands of many scribes and translators, separated through misguided translators, but brought back together so that you and I can learn more about him. God wants us to have his word because he is the word. John 1.1 says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That same word that was the creator of the heavens and the earth is the same word that led the children of Israel into the promised land. That same word became flesh and was crucified for our sins. It's the same word that promised to return for his children. It's the same word that will one day return and sit on the throne as our king. But many times we look for ways to improve what we read in that book. Religion, through tradition, has taken a basic set of rules and principles that God gave us as our guide and has changed them into something entirely different. What they do not realize is that by doing so, they are greatly hurting themselves without any reward. When Adam and Eve walked in the garden, they had one simple rule. Many have argued what this rule was and try to make the tree into some sort of sexual innuendo. And <clears throat> they have changed it, but the rule was quite simple. God simply told Adam and Eve, here is something I do not want you to do. Don't do it. And it was for their own good. Eve was deceived into breaking this rule. Adam knowingly broke this rule. 
Satan stood there in the garden rejoicing because he had tricked Eve into persuading Adam to disobey God. This is where our trouble begins. You see, before this, they knew no sin. They lived fully under grace. Adam and Eve walked through the garden, breaking the many rules of religion today. They were naked because they did not know what naked was. When they both were given the knowledge of good and evil, this presented a big problem. Satan was right there tempting them just as he did before with Eve. But now, rather than living fully under grace, they would have knowledge and understanding of right and wrong. They had discernment. This knowledge made them realize that they were naked. I'm sure that it must have felt strange to them, never having worried about showing their flesh before. There were two of them. Was it wrong to look at each other's flesh? They had knowledge of good and evil, but they did not know how to apply this knowledge. So rather than find out what God wanted them to do, they made a rule. Let's cover ourselves with these leaves. Notice that this was the very first rule made by man and not by God. And notice that this rule, though seemingly correct, did not please God. God does not care about man's rules. He only cares about one thing, what he desires for his people. He had given them one simple rule and they broke it. And now the entire race was destined to fall. Though it's very difficult to understand after years and years of tradition, God's rules are there to help us. They're not there to punish us. They're not there to, to set a set of meaningless boundaries. They're not intended to impose guidelines that do not have any bearing on our daily lives. God gave us His rules to make our lives better. Like so many traditions that we follow, Cain followed a rule of God, but he twisted it into something else. After learning about good and evil, sacrifice was required. And that sacrifice was for their good. The blood of an animal was atonement for sin. Having knowledge of good and evil is a heavy weight. For the good, it is no problem, but for the evil, there comes guilt. And with guilt comes inward pain and eternal suffering. And while it may seem silly to us in today's world, mankind needed a way to lift that pain and that suffering for their sin. God decided to let them exchange that pain for the blood of a lamb, lifting the weights from sin off their shoulders. But over time, these weights became heavier and heavier. God loved mankind, but <clears throat> mankind did not love God. God was faithful to his children, sparing even the smallest number of pure hearts. While God was ready to cleanse the entire world, cleanse mankind and start over, Noah found grace in God's sight, having the love and kindness that God wants us to have. The knowledge of good and evil is a two-sided coin. While the entire world chose the evil side, Noah chose good. Noah found grace, that same grace that was in the garden in the beginning, in the eyes of the Lord. Because of this grace, Noah's family was spared. God was so faithful that the entire world may be stripped away from you, 
But if you're standing in His grace, He'll find you'll find His hand of protection covering you from all danger. The problem is that even after Noah was spared by God, Noah and his family, the facts still remained. They had knowledge of good and evil. Good brings righteousness, but evil bring the curiosity of evil brings sinful desire and brings destruction. Mankind knew what was right. They knew what was wrong, but they still did not understand why they had this desire that continually caused them to fall. Like so many today, <clears throat> the blood of the sacrifice was not enough. They wanted to take things into their own hands. Man desires to be more like God, and therefore has a strong desire to save himself. And they were no longer under grace, like Adam and Eve in the beginning. Man was born into sin, given the choice between right and wrong, and continually were bound by the weight of sin. The blood was the only way to atone for that sin, and still they wanted to find a better way. They wanted rules. Many pastors today won't tell you this, but when Moses returned from the mountain with the law, there were only ten rules. They were God's rules, and they were intended for the good of the people. They were broad in scope. God wanted the people to interpret these rules for themselves, not to be imposed by authoritative pastors. And God tells us that all ten of those rules are summed up into two very simple rules. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and mind and soul, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's very simple. You don't need scribes and Pharisees pouring over the scriptures, trying to determine how strictly or how loosely we enforce those rules. We don't need interpreters to gleam understanding through ancient text and try to see if a period or a comma is misplaced, trying to lead to a completely different rule. We don't need to study ancient archaeology to, to study the ancient culture and tell us how these words apply to Paul's day, or scholars to study the ancient dialects and tell us how the gr grammatical rules apply. You can make these choices for yourself. This is the way that God wants it to be. The children of Israel were not satisfied with the Ten Commandments. They were ten simple rules, all bound in love, and open for their own interpretation. But if you love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, you will not put other gods before Him. You will not make a graven image or uh, of another god and bow down to serve it. You will not take his name in vain. He is your God. That's commandment number one. If you love your neighbor, you will not make him work until he's bone weary. You will not make yourself work until you're bone weary. You will take a day and you will rest from your labor. You will love your mother and your father. If you love them, you will respect them as you do yourself. You will not dishonor them. You will not murder your brother if you love him. He is your brother. You will not sleep with another woman if you love your wife. She's your wife. You won't steal. You won't lie. You would not want somebody doing this to you. If you love your neighbor, 
You won't make him feel guilty over the blessings that God has given him. You won't covet his possessions. They're his. After God explained these Ten Commandments to Moses, the covenant was confirmed. Not the covenant that would later be, become known as the Old Covenant or the Mosaic Law, but the very first covenant between God and man that was given to Moses. Exodus 24 describes Moses confirming that covenant with blood. But when Moses returned up the mountain to receive the stone tablets, the people began forming religion. The men and women melted their earrings and their other jewelry, and they made a graven image and started bowing down to it. Immediately after agreeing to the covenant of God, they breached it. The Mosaic Law was not the Ten Commandments written on stone and carried by Moses. When Moses descended and saw the evil in the people, he smashed those stones into a thousand pieces. They had broken the law before the law was even presented to them. Exodus 34, along with the entire rest of the Old Testament, is a good example for us. Sometimes I read the Old Testament in amazement. I'm amazed that God would use an entire generation of people as an example for us today. It is awe-inspiring that God loves us so much that He will write His love letter over centuries and centuries of time. Such a huge example of why we need love instead of religion. The children of Israel had broken the first covenant that God gave Moses. So God gave them another. And this one had exactly what they wanted. Rule after rule after rule after rule. So many rules that it filled an entire two more books. They were very harsh rules. From the simple law of love that was in the first covenant, the children were stoned if they were disobeying. If you touched the wrong animal, you were abandoned and you were left in the wilderness. If your genitals were injured, you could not enter the congregation. The original rules were very simple, easy to follow. Love God, love your brothers and sisters, live peacefully, and you will be blessed. Jesus tried to explain this to the scribes and Pharisees, but they were so bound by religion that they had forgotten about love. They had forgotten the very reason for the law. And while they stood pointing fingers at those who broke the rules of their religion, Jesus showed them that they were already breaking the original Ten Commandments, the very reason for those rules. In Matthew 5, Jesus gives them example after example of how the people were breaking the law of love. If you are angry, you are guilty of murder. If you looked at another woman with a lustful eye, you were committing adultery already in your heart. But like today, the Pharisees could not understand what Jesus was telling them. They listened to the words, and they searched their minds for rules associated to these examples, and they found none. There was no rule against being angry. There was no rule against lusting after a woman. These are just examples of how we can justify ourselves by our rules while still be filled with an evil heart. 
Religion today will amplify these statements, gleaning new rules from the letters of text. Like the Pharisees, they're focused on the rules more than they're focused on the reason that they were given. Sometimes to the point of establishing rules that cause us to break the law of love. They think that Christ was giving us more rules simply because they refused to read that chapter in context of the chapters before and after. Since the Pentecostal movement began in the United States, many new rules were added to religion. Some of these rules were nothing more than custom, older custom, made by men who were unwilling to allow change. Other rules were misinterpretations. And the rest of the world was already starting to realize these rules to be false. We came into this world naked, without anything to show. We die in much the same way, after our clothing rots from our decayed bodies. God does not care about the things of the flesh, the things that we value and we respect. God does not care how we look, the outward appearance that is so bound by culture and custom. Men in the Bible wore robes, what we call dresses. Women wore breeches. Men girded up their loins, turning their robes into what we would call shorts. Togas, kilts, and more were customs for days gone by, and we do not find a single instance in Scripture where the Lord told Moses, Thou shalt not let thine men wear kilts and expose their nether regions. When God was describing to Moses the correct way to build an altar, he told Moses that he absolutely hated the flesh. They were not to touch the idols, they're not they were not to touch their tools to the stone constructed for the altar. If man-made tools touched the stones of the altar, God considered that altar to be profaned. And God considered those dresses that the men wore to be no more than nakedness. Exodus 20, says, And you shall not go up by my steps to the altar, that your nakedness be exposed on it. But we have become so focused on these rules that we've trained ourselves to think that God has the same mind as a human. We think that the things that we detest, God must also detest. We think that the things that we love, God must also love. This is exactly backwards from the way it should be. The things that God detests, we should detest. The things that God loves, we should also love. God detests false prophets. Yet we find a large number of prophets, false prophets, associated with the Pentecostal movement that are revered and respected. God detests sorcery. Yet we have Christians today in religion who live their lives by the numbers, the zodiac, the horoscopes, and more. The very sorcery that men and the women in the Bible were stoned for is completely overlooked by so many Christians today. But while the Pentecostal movement ignored the things that broke the first two commandments, they added several rules that had absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the commandments. Wearing a long dress does not make you love your neighbor. Your neighbor will not love you because you wear a long dress, unless he's a little creepy and into that sort of thing. But it will make you look down on others who do not enjoy your choice in wardrobe. 
You will fall into the sin of pride by the man-made rules that was based entirely upon custom and not the custom of other nations, based entirely upon the custom of the United States during the late 1800s and early 1900s. If you love your sister in northern Ukraine, you won't be giving her dresses. It's too cold. You'll be giving her the thickest, warmest pair of pants that you can possibly find for her. She isn't from the United States. She doesn't care about the custom of the United States. She isn't concerned with the custom of women wearing breeches in the ancient world, or how the men wore togas and robes in ancient Corinth, or what the children of Israel wore as they journeyed to the Promised Land. All she cares about is surviving, and she won't be doing it by exposing her legs to the cold. The length of your hair does not show love to your brother or sister. I recently saw a group of women who shaved their heads for a poor little girl who was suffering with cancer. She was crying because her hair was falling out due to the radiation, and she was ashamed of how she looked. Women banded together to show their support, and they shaved their heads to show her that you can shave your head and still be beautiful. They showed more love, more of the love of Christ, the, than the entire church of women with hair all the way down to their bottoms that speak evil of those other women who cut their hair. The problem is that when you start adding man-made rules, those rules have absolutely nothing to do with the love of God or the love of your fellow man. There's really no place to stop. As these rules are added, New rules must be added to support those rules, and it becomes a never-ending cycle, placing a weight upon the shoulders of that person who is trapped into religion. Some have rules on facial hair. Some have rules on ins musical instruments. Some have rules on how much of your toe can be exposed through the ends of your shoes. We laugh at some of these rules, but while laughing at our brothers and sisters who have invented their own man-made rules, we are bound by our own. At some point, now that these rules have gotten out of hand, we must ask ourselves, which rule is greater? The Bible does tell us to be modest. So is the law of not showing the other brothers your sexy toes greater than the law that permits the sexy knees? Or is that law greater because it is more modest? Until you realize that modesty has more to do with your pride than the exposure of your flesh. Until you realize this, you will never understand these words of Jesus Christ. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, and love your neighbor. Jesus said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and your, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbors and yourself. As yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Matthew 22.